Good morning, everyone. Fire Chief Rich Etheridge joins us. Good morning. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Two fires in the past two mornings. You've been busy. Yeah, it's kind of unusual. We usually don't have this much fire activity back to back, but uh, the crews have done an amazing job. Um, the first fire they had out at the storage units off of La Perouse, um, they didn't know if there were people inside the structure, and the captain, uh, Noah Jenkins, arrived on scene and had the building searched and the fire knocked down in just a matter of minutes and just did an amazing job at uh, getting that under control because that could have definitely gotten out of hand, you know, very, very quickly. Mm. And then just this car fire this morning. Yeah, uh, we've got a total of five vehicles that were damaged out there um, uh, behind the mall. And uh, the fire marshal and JPD are both still actively working that this morning, trying to you know, develop leads and suspects. So if anybody's got uh, video footage, especially of, uh, you know, anything sp- suspicious or odd in that area um, of the morning of those two fires, please forward them to us and we'll take a look at it and see if that helps, you know, fill in some of the blanks. Has tips helped you in filling blanks before? Yeah, uh, all the time. Uh, we get, you know, just random, you know, home video footage or ring cameras, things like that. Uh, those help out tremendously. And, and it doesn't even have to be immediately in that, uh, you know, area able to see the fire. Sometimes seeing vehicles leaving the area that uh, coincide with the time of the fire, that could help develop, you know, putting suspects, you know, in the area and, and gives the police department something to work with. And uh, just trying to narrow down people and, and time frames. Very good. And we, we spoke with uh, the fire marshal this morning, and he had said the fire for the car fire had occurred at 5 a.m. this morning. We have the details up on our website. Uh, so, uh, f- so Rich, hopefully you'll have some time for National Night Out tonight. Yeah, the, the fire marshal is actually the one coordinating it for the, uh, the fire department. So uh, he's got his hands full uh, with two fires and National Night Out tonight. So uh, he's going to be tired by tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> well, what do you think of the event? Uh, it's a fantastic event. Typically, um, when we're uh, meeting, you know, the citizens of Juno, it's typically they've called us with either some kind of, you know, complaint, uh, their neighbors are burning or there's some kind of an emergency going on. So it's really nice to be able to go meet people in a casual setting and answer questions because the fire department's an extremely complex organization that does a lot of different things in the community. And there's questions out in the community that, you know, it's just great to be able to answer them and let people know what it is that, you know, what their services are that they're paying for. Well, sir, you've ever been posed a interesting or question that made you pause for a moment during one of these events or just from the community? Um, you know, some of it, uh, you know, is like, how did the fire service boundaries get drawn? And, you know, that happened so long before for my time. You know, I'm, I'm not sure the history of how they got to where they are. We know where they're at and, and it's based off of uh, tax rates. But, you know, who decided to draw the line in those specific areas? You know, that was one of the questions that I didn't have an immediate answer for. Mm. And, and and then there's all the different stations. Yeah, we've got five separate stations and a, a training center. Um, two of the stations are staffed 24-7. Um, the Ock Base Station right now has our uh, uh, mobile integrated health program based out of it. So there's somebody out there uh, during business hours. Uh, and then we have two volunteer stations that uh, right now don't have people living in them, both in uh, Douglas and Lincoln Canal. Mm. And when we were 
chatting once, you'd said Lynn Canal isn't all that much used, is it? Uh, no, there's not a tremendous amount of uh, fires that occur out in that district. Uh, they do see uh, very significant car accidents out there. Um, and there's yeah. some car fires out there, too. Yeah, sometimes. a few car fires. Um, but, you know, the people that live in that area know that, you know, it's it's a long time to get a fire response to, to their house. And so I think they're extra cautious with, you know, paying attention to heat sources and servicing equipment and stuff like that um, because they do know they're going to be on their own for quite a while and, and waiting for volunteer forces and, and the folks from Glacier Station to get out that direction. And they probably see the most action, right? Yeah, Glacier Station and the downtown station, they're pretty comparable. Um, out at Glacier Station, the responses are a lot longer because the uh, uh, stations over by the airport and the bulk of the population's a few miles away in the, the valley and in Lemon Creek. So, and they also cover the Ock Bay. So they got a long, lot longer distances to run. Whereas downtown, they've got short distances, but they've got, you know, a lot more people because of the, the tourism and, um, you know, the, the legislature being in town and things like that. So in your opinion, is there something that can be done to improve this configuration? Um, the biggest thing that, you know, I'd like to see someday is a fire station in the Lemon Creek area. Um, that's uh, a very high utilized area. And uh, the station uh, over by the airport is the primary response uh, station. So it takes some, a little bit of time to get back into some of those housing developments. Mm. And on the airport, we wanted to know your thoughts on that recent full-scale drill conducted, uh, I believe, last month. Yeah, it's, it's always a good challenge. Um, you know, since we only do them every three years, we have new people in positions every time. So it's always a learning experience. We always have areas that, uh, you know, we realize, oh, shoot, we need to practice on that more. That um, we don't get a lot of uh, large mass casualty incidents. So like triaging people, um, you know, practicing that and, and realizing, you know, it does take a little bit longer than than you realize at times. But uh, overall, uh, the department performed, uh, you know, well. Uh, they had a little delay in getting the fire out and that's because they were just using water versus the foam that they typically use and um you know the reason for that is just to avoid putting contaminants into the ground for for a training event so um so it was one of those things that we knew going into it that uh, was going to be harder to put the fire out than you know using the tools that they would normally use for that so the information you have the fire being extinguished with the water you've taken that down right that's a takeaway yeah absolutely and, and then the amount of time it took for the volunteers to be triaged yeah triage usually takes a little bit longer than we expect um when you have 60 to 80 people somebody has to go up to them and uh, assess some real quick vital signs and make a determination you know how seriously are they hurt or injured and and they categorize them and uh, a green is a walking wounded um, a yellow uh, is a, you know they're injured but they're going to be okay like like a broken arm or you know something like that um, and if they're a red they're having a significant medical they're they're the people that are going to uh, you know die if if something's not done with them and then the the black category is people that are already deceased or will be deceased within minutes and so there's some there's some differences between this drill and the a couple differences between this drill and the real thing is there uh, absolutely um you know in in the drill you know there's moulage and 
you know, there's a little bit of stress, but not like when you actually have somebody sitting there, you know, bleeding and, and screaming and hurting, um, you know, when you have an actual injury, you know, it does amp up the stress level a little bit. So, you know, it's really hard to kind of, uh, you know, create, artificially create that, that, that stress load, um, especially for people that have done the drill a few times that they, they kind of know the routine of how, how the process works. So, and well, there are some participants who were taking a lot of fun with the makeup, though. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's always a blast. Uh, adds to the realism, or at least tries to. Yeah, it was unfortunate that we ended the, the drill at the point we did. It would have been nice to allow, you know, the EMTs to, you know, treat some of those injuries that people had and give them, you know, another half hour, 45 minutes, of, you know, actually splinting things and, you know, checking cardiac stuff and, and, you know, doing some of those more advanced treatments out in the field. But uh, we had, you know, time constraints and uh, there was a lot of people involved. So doing those drills is extremely expensive. Yeah, I heard there were several agencies. Yeah, uh, we, uh, you know, JPD ends up playing, TSA ends up with the role, um, the dispatch center, they're trying to run the day-to-day emergencies and deal with our radio traffic from the drill. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of who else uh, the... Uh, Air National Guard, uh, the Civil Air Patrol. Um, so, yeah, you get a lot of different groups that, that participate in there. Well, this only happens every so often. Yeah, every three years we're required to do those. Well, as a reporter, it's my first to report on. So <laughs> it, was, it was an interesting experience, that's for sure, especially since there was a real fire just before it. Absolutely. And the last drill we had prior to this one, uh, they actually had uh, a group of Boy Scouts that fell into the Mendenhall River. So we were doing a rescue at the time that the, the drill was supposed to start. So Jeez. there was a little confusion. Is this part of the drill or is this you know a real life call? So. Um, but, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to sort it out quick and, and be able to respond. But, uh, yeah. What, the, what, a chance, what are the chances? Oh, yeah. The, the chaos of Juno never takes a pause for, for training opportunities. It's, there's always something going on. Well, we'll have more with Rich after the break. Stay tuned. We're back with Fire, uh, Fire Chief Rich Etheridge. I'm sorry. The marshal's just been so busy, I almost <laughs> said marshal. Wouldn't be the first time. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, we're only human. So the governor signed a bill recently into law regarding firefighter workers' compensation. Could you share what this bill would do? Yeah, um, we're really excited about that one. Uh, we, we put a lot of work into lobbying for uh, adding uh, breast cancer to the presumptive health bill. And basically what presumptive health is, is if a firefighter gets these specific types of cancer uh, within a certain period of time, I think it's five years after your career ends, that it's presumed that you got that cancer on the job because uh, cancer rates are so high in the fire service due to the carcinogens that we uh, are exposed to on emergency incidents or in the fire stations or our gear. Um, You know, uh, I think... uh, the number I last read was were fourteen percent higher than the, the average person to to get. There's like nine different types of cancer, and uh, back when they built the presumptive health bill, there weren't a lot of female firefighters in the fire service, and nobody thought of breast cancer in there. So now that uh, there's a large number of females in the fire service, that came to the forefront, and it also came to the forefront that men get breast cancer as well because we lost uh, one of the Fairbanks fire chiefs. Uh, to breast cancer just a few years ago so that was really important for the fire service to make sure that got it added into the 
the presumptive health and uh, it just gives folks a little bit more security that yeah you're taking these extra risks and if you get sick on the job because of the job that uh, you know there's some protections and you don't have to fight uh, you know to prove that you know it was a workplace injury they assume that you may have it but there's no compensation for it no you're not compensated for it but they'll they'll treat it like a workers it's a workers comp claim basically but instead of having to prove that you got it on the job by saying it was at this specific fire i got exposed to the carcinogen they just say well with all the fires that you've been to pretty good chance that you got it you know from from your work so what was your reaction to its signing uh, it was a big sigh of relief. Uh, we spent a lot of time writing letters and making phone calls and, uh, you know, going up to the Capitol building, knocking on legislators' doors, uh, just letting them know the impact. And, um, you know, it, everybody wants to be supportive of the fire service, but, uh, you know, they don't know sometimes how to be supportive. And this was one way that really, you know, had a positive impact. And, and now with this edition of breast cancer as part of it, uh, we, is there anyone that you could think of in your time where this protection may have helped them if it was in place? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I've got 31 years in the fire service and I could probably come up with about 15 or 20 people that I personally know have had cancer or passed away from cancer. Um, that uh, I mean, it's very prevalent in the fire service, whether it's, um, you know, prostate cancer, or leukemia, or I mean, it's just there's like nine different ones. Um, it's just the material you work around. Yeah, it's uh, you and know, the, the environment. It's the environment. You know, we get the, the carcinogens on our bunker gear. Um, you know, back in the good old days, we didn't know that our bunker gear was a contaminant. And so we would, you know, have soot and stuff dripping off our helmets and just throw it in our car with us and it would ride around. And, and now we know better that uh you know the the soot and all that stuff that builds up on our gear is toxic and so we scrub down with soap and water you know on the fire scenes and put our gear in bags and and we don't put it in the cab with us um you know we you know wash the the hoods and the gloves and all the the small gear any place that gets exposed to smoke um you know that gets washed or wiped down with wipes on on scene just to reduce those exposures as much as possible just like what we're learning with pfos exactly just like pfos yeah uh, you know our fire stations for years uh, we had no ventilation systems out where the apparatus are you just figured that while well, the doors open it'll let the exhaust out but we learned several years ago that the exhaust from those was actually putting carcinogens into our buildings and putting it all over the surfaces. So we were constantly touching that type of stuff. Uh, they're um, such big engines too. Yeah, they're 500 horsepower diesel engines. and um, But now we have ventilation systems in the fire stations to, to prevent that type of stuff. And the engines are so much more efficient and cleaner burning that, that it greatly mm. reduces it. So we're constantly looking for ways to reduce that risk. But... Um, it's the job and we can't you know have zero risk but we can reduce it at every every chance that we can i wonder if they'll come up with a electric fire engine they actually do have them and they're starting to pop up um they're about a million and a half dollars so there's uh like la's got one i think there's one in florida but some of the the metropolises are really starting to pick up a few of them uh the technology's still pretty young um you know, I think uh, an electric fire engine would work great in like our downtown district, but uh, out in the valley where it has longer response times, maybe not so much. But uh, uh, it'll be really interesting to see where that technology goes in the next four or five years. Well, coming to now, I saw some of the photos for that new fire fire ladder truck you've got. 
how excited are you uh, we're really excited about it. it's a pretty truck you know we've got uh, good color combinations on it and uh uh, it's set up real similar to the fire engine, so it'll help reduce some of the training. Um, but uh, it's definitely a state-of-the-art piece of equipment, and uh, you know it's going to be a lot of fun to work with and, and to learn its capacity and how best we can use it in town. And we were chatting a little bit beforehand. You, you found a newspaper clipping of when we got an engine? Yeah, we found uh, uh, there was a snorkel ladder truck that we got back in the 1960s. And uh, the newspaper article said that we paid $56,000 for it back then. And as compared to the, the lights, $1.1 million uh, today for, for, the, for a similar comparable type truck. Uh, and half of the features. Oh, yeah. They, they were so rudimentary. Um, back then, you had to be very precise about just trying to put the ladder back you know down and back on the bed whereas now as you can push a button and it's going to line things up for you and you know it reduces the risk of breaking the equipment or hurting someone uh it's got safety features in it so that there's you know very little chance of dumping people out of the bucket whereas back then that was a very real possibility to um you know hit things they've got you know uh, collision avoidance type stuff so you know you're not going to crash into like a telephone pole or power lines moving the bucket around well the stickers on it it's red <laughs> and it's on wheels when will be on wheels here on egan uh we're anticipating by the end of august it uh, made it from appleton wisconsin it's in tacoma uh, right now so the the dealer is going through it to you know check and make sure everything works to their standards and if there's any you know thing that the factory missed that they'll take care of it there before it comes up to juno we'll probably have it in the building for probably three four weeks just kind of outfitting it and and studying um and then the factory reps will come up and spend several days with us and going through all the features to make sure that you know we're, we're extremely competent before we put it out on the road very good uh, so recently i had saw that uh you have a retirement in your department uh, you we did talk about that sure um one of our uh, longtime firefighter paramedics paul kelly uh just retired this weekend uh saturday was his last shift and uh you know he's one of those paramedics that's super well known around town because he not only took care of the patients you know really really well but uh, he took care of the family members and he did it uh you know he wasn't always the most serious person he always had a, a sense of humor and tried to lighten the mood and make people realize that you know things aren't as bad as they, they seem right now and uh just took great care of the community and so he's leaving some really big shoes to fill so uh 20 years of service and paul kelly's going to enjoy his retirement now is that his own photo uh the frame that he's holding with all of his stuff in is that his own or? yeah uh, the department uh brady fink one of our engineers actually puts those together uh, we purchased the axe and the frame and then they take and get his badges and some of the patches and some of the accomplishments from his career and awards and stick them on there just so that you know he's got something down the road to kind of fondly remember those days well You'll need to find a replacement, I suppose. Uh, yeah, we'll be uh, advertising for a paramedic again here uh, fairly soon. So um, the, the ads should start going out probably within the next week and a half to two weeks. And if anyone else wanted to join you guys, where would they need to go? Uh, they can go to our website. They can stop in the uh, front office. They can shoot us a message on Facebook. Um, yeah, We're happy to answer questions and take people for tours. Uh, we're always looking for new volunteers. Um, 
But if you want to you know, look at a career in the fire service, volunteering is the way to go because you can get the training at no charge and you know, we'll take you from brand new with no experience to you could all go all the way through paramedic school. Well, that's Fire Chief Rich Etheridge joining us this morning. Thank you. Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. And thank you all for listening and for tuning in this, well, August 2nd. This is Kevin Allen for Action Line. Signing off.